So I thought it'd be helpful to see are there examples of hypocrites in the Bible? And the answer is yes, there is, many, many times, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, practically. So I'm going to read, uh, uh, I thought one of the, the there's, there's two main, uh, actually a few main examples uh, in the Bible I'm going to talk through that really just stood out to me that as I was thinking through this that, that came right to mind. The first one we'll talk about is uh, uh, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Um, just to set the stage, Exodus chapter 20 is, is uh, where we see God handing down the Ten Commandments to, to his people uh, through Moses. So they're, they're encamped around Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain uh, before God, God called Moses up on Mount Sinai to give him the law, the Ten Commandments. Just a quick refresher on the Ten Commandments. Let me read them for us. This kind of, I think this will set the stage for where we're headed. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. So that's the law God handed to Moses. Big deal. This is, this is, this is the standard by which we're to meet. Going from there and uh, what now in, in the, the Bible we have you going there in verses 21, or excuse me, chapters 21 and 22, 23. Uh, God has given Moses all these laws, lots of, of laws and, and ordinances that people are to live by. You can almost look at it like the, uh, a lot of these, like the civil laws that we live with now, the judicial system in a way, uh, a lot of them. Uh, things on personal injury, property rights, um, land, a lot of these things. Um, and uh, so that's, that's the scene. The Ten Commandments and the civil law, God hands down to Moses and his people. Moses, I'm mean, in chapter 24 now, just going to read you one verse here. Moses comes down from the mountain, and, and um, I'll read chapter 3. It says, And Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. No factor, Lord. We got this covered. No problem. We're going to do all those. It's not an issue. Don't worry about it. You know, we promise. Scouts honor. We're going to do all these things. Uh, even though the Lord has just given them this impossible standard to meet in the, in the law. Um, so to fast forward a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm obviously giving you a fast paraphrase of the story here. We'd be here the rest of the week. But uh, um, in the next several, in the next section here, the next several chapters in the Bible now, um, God calls Moses back up on the Mount Sinai. Uh, and he's, this is really interesting from, from what we're talking about here and where we're headed. The Lord hands to Moses um, some very specific directions on how he wants to be worshipped. Here's how, here's some things to do to worship me and to, and to point you um, in the right direction as far as worship. And so the Lord goes into that, dealing with offerings in the sanctuary, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, um, certain things that, that they were to have in their presence and certain things and processes they were to do as they were, were worshipping the Lord. Uh, they go through all this, the garments of the priests, uh, the sacrifices, the consecration of the priest. Here's the, here's the way you come before me and worship me. Uh, and I'm going to jump over to, to 32 now, and this is, uh, this is where we're getting with this. I'm going to read to you uh, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. It says, 
Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said to him, This is your and he said to them, This is uh, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Does anybody see an issue with that? We just went through this whole thing. The Lord very, very specifically, methodically giving them the law and these things to do, and he's carefully handing that down to Moses. Uh, even writes it on some tablets. You know, the, the tablets where he wrote the, the Ten Commandments initially. Then the Lord goes through this process of telling him exactly how to worship him. And while he's up there, while Moses is up there with God, interceding with God for the people, uh, receiving direct revelation for the people, uh, and we're not even going into what God had did for these people previously. That's, that's the backdrop, though. They say, hey, this Moses character, we don't know where he went off to, but, but we, we want something to worship. So you know, Aaron kind of being Moses' sidekick, the leader in charge, so to speak, while Moses was up on the mountain. He says, all right, well, you know, gather your gold up and let's just make a golden calf. Since Moses is down and we hadn't heard from God in a while, let's just create a God. Let's just create an idol to worship. And so that's, that's what they do, and you see it here. So um, immediately, I don't know if you're seeing the hypocrisy here, but immediately they broke the first three commandments at a minimum. Um, they made a, this image, this golden calf. They worshipped it, and then they attributed this worship to a false god to, to the Lord uh, with burnt offerings and some of these other things. So... Uh, amazing hypocrisy from the Israelites. Um, this one really stood out to me. So uh, there's one example from the Old Testament. Uh, another uh, that really stood out to me is that, that came right to mind, um, probably be the most familiar for, for a lot of us, is in Matthew chapter 7. Let me get my place here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Uh, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What, a, what imagery here? You got this guy who's you know, calling out his, his friend, his brother, it says, on some issue. You know, you hey, hey, I hate to bring this up to you, but you got a little, you got a little speck in your eye. You got this thing going on, while, while you know, as as it's telling, there's this horrible sin or log hanging out of the other person's eye, and you can just imagine. I just think about the imagery: of this log hanging out of a guy's eye, and he's calling somebody out for having a speck on him. Um, what a hypocrite! There's another example. If you turn to Matthew chapter 23, um, this is a, a Man, you don't talk about a rebuke from Jesus himself. Um, 
we won't read the whole thing, but, but starting in verse 13 of chapter 23 in Matthew, uh, Jesus is calling out the religious hypocrites of his day, uh, the Pharisees. The, um, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, multiple times here, multiple times, and he's calling out specific sins that they were being hypocritical on. Let me start reading in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then jumping down to verse 32, it says, or excuse me, 33, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? That is a, a, a stunning rebuke. You're probably aware of the Pharisees at this time. They were the, the, the religious elite. You know, they had the, the titles. They, had, you know, they were called rabbi and teacher and all these you know, kind of titles of esteem. Like they were somebody. They wore fancy clothes. They sat in the, the places of honor. I mean, they really thought they had it going on. And Jesus very sternly calls them out that, they're, they're relying on uh, uh, their own works, legalism, this stuff they made up to impress people and, and, and to, uh, to really disregard God and, his, and loving Him and putting faith in Him. Stern rebuke from Christ on this. Um, and then you might can make a case, well, what about the Christian part of it? Do, do all these, the, do the three examples we just went, just went through, do they... Uh, are they explicitly talking about Christians? Well, whether they are or aren't, let's, let's give an example on that. Another big example that came to mind is uh, in Galatians chapter 2, a really infamous example or, or story of the Apostle Paul calling out the Apostle Peter for being a hypocrite. Um, so clearly, the Apostle Peter, one of the, one of the original disciples that became an apostle following Jesus was in Jesus's most intimate circle when he was on earth uh, was struggling with this for a time um, so I'm going to read uh, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 2 it says but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for prior to the coming of certain men from James he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they came he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof Fear in the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, hypocrisy, and the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So the 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 scenario here is, um, you know, this is the early church when you know, relatively soon after Christ had 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 uh, died and uh, was crucified and resurrected. Um, the, the apostles and, and uh, the disciples that they made are out proclaiming the gospel to, to, to their neighbor, all Jerusalem and the area surrounding them. Um, and, and the church, I don't think it's, I don't th I think you could say it was maybe fledgling a bit, making sure they had their act together in terms of uh, doctrine and, and ex what exactly what do we believe and how do we, how do we transition from, the, from the, the, the old covenant that they had to the new with Christ. Um, so that's the scene, and the issue here is um, they were, there was an argument among them about circumcision and uh, the significance of circumcision going from the Old Testament, and is that, is that still applicable? How do we handle that? Is that still a, uh, a religious uh, thing that's required of us? 
And, and Peter was falling into this trap. It, it wasn't a requirement, and Paul called him out on it. Um, and, and he even shows here that this is a really dangerous thing. Uh, this, this hypocrisy even led away others in their group. He calls out Barnabas here, and I'm sure others as well. Um, so hypocrisy is a big deal. So what's the point here? Why are we going through all that? The point I wanted to make is they're being hypocrites is nothing new. I don't think if I were to tell you there's hypocrites in the church, I don't think anybody would be like, oh, wow, I never, I never knew that. That's really revelation to me. I don't think anybody would say that. Um, but to be clear, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't sweep this under the rug. It's not an inconvenient truth that, that God and his wisdom and, and putting his word together ignores. It's, it's pretty clear. Um, it's recognized over and over again. If you really think about uh, not just hypocrisy, but the, the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's basically the story of how we're in sin and we needed a rescuer. Um, that's, that's maybe a, a very elementary summary of it. Um, another point to keep in mind here, um, for those of you listening, not all who attend church or call themselves Christians really are. I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind um, in, this, in this topic, especially if those of you listening who have, who have genuinely been hurt and offended by somebody um, that, that claims to be a Christian. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 said, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So notice again, this, this sin of hypocrisy, it's leading people away. And the situation here in this text is it's talking about the hypocrisy of liars. So these are false teachers who came into the church and were telling hypocritical lies, trying to lead people astray, and they did. Uh, and they were seared in their own consciences, it says, is with a branding iron. There's some more great imagery you can think about, a hot branding iron on somebody's conscience. These... Um, Honestly, I just thought about this now. How how powerful are those lies? And to think about this imagery, it being seared on your conscience. Well, it's it's almost it's permanent, really. It's permanent once when, when you get a uh, uh, you think about cattle being branded. It's it's permanent. Um, that's the danger. So to be clear, uh, are we saying in that that um, you can lose your salvation? Were these people bringing people away? Um, or these saved people that, that were being seared in their consciences by hypocrites in the church and, and led away uh, permanently? And I would say no. Um, they would not have been genuine believers, to be crystal clear. Those who would have left were never true Christians to begin with. First um, John 2.19, I think, is pretty clear on that. It says, They went out from us, but they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So these people that have went out, um, it, it's horrible. And this still demonstrates the danger and, and the extent of hypocrisy in the church. But these people that left were never true believers to begin with. They were, um, you might say, nominal believers that, that identified. Maybe they were interested, but had never fully put their faith in Christ. And they, and they went away uh, when they were hurt by this hypocrisy. So... Um, 
one of the scariest, uh, moving on, one of the scariest, I would say the scariest passage to me um, in all the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from you, me, you who practice lawlessness. These are the, the religious people, clearly. They're standing before God. You know, the scene is kind of judgment. They're standing before God. And he said, oh, they say, oh, Lord, you know, we did all this stuff. We were super religious. God, we were prophesying and, and um, um, you know, doing all these religious things, you know, uh, performing miracles. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, Incredibly scary passage because these are the this is the these are the church people these are the religious people, um, they were hypocrites. These were religious hypocrites who were saying one thing, maybe even doing one thing in, in these religious acts they were doing, but that's they didn't believe it. Um, he says, um, "Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." They they had no faith in Christ. They were putting their their uh, faith in their works instead of Christ and, and faith in God. To keep clarifying, to make sure we're, we're not being confusing at all. So are we saying that, that all who fall into hypocrisy in the church are lost? By no means. I, I would not say that. If that were the case, none of us would have any hope because I think we can all slip into it. Um, I think we can all slip into it. The Apostle Paul himself talked about this extensively. Um, flip over with me to Romans chapter 7. Uh, this, some of the other guys... Uh, uh, brought this same text up uh, throughout the week, and it's, it's a good one because it hits on a lot of these, uh, the, t- the questions we've been asking this week. But Romans chapter 7, I'll read uh, verses 18, 19, and 24 here. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. And then down in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? So this is Romans being written by the Apostle Paul. He's saying here, you know, my goodness, I'm still struggling. I don't do the things I want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to free me from this body of death? Who's going to free me from that? Paul's saying here, we're at war. It's a, for, for a true Christian, it's a daily war between the, the, our sinful nature, our flesh that we're born into, and the Spirit of God that, that's in us as believers. When you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God indwelling in you. It's a daily battle. And this is not a, uh, this is not a you know, you kind of battle that when you're, when you're just coming to know the Lord. No, it's, it's an everyday. I mean, this is, at this point, the Apostle Paul saying this, who wrote a large portion of the New Testament in the Bible. He's still saying he struggles with sin. Uh, another area he talks about being the chief of sinners. Um, so, um, so if you're listening and you're wondering about this whole thing, if you're listening, I just want you to know Christians are not those who have it all figured out. Christians are not those who are perfect. We're not those who uh, never sin. I think that's crystal clear here. And so where do we go from there? Well, 
let's go back to verse 24 and then read 25 after and we start to get our answer. And this is starting to be our turning point here. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then in verse 25 he says, Think, he answers his own question here, by the way. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the answer. He asks, you know, here's, here's this condition I'm in. I'm, I'm, I still continue to sin. I don't do the things I want to do. Wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? And then here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you'll see, uh, you'll see on billboards and, and church sign, church, if I could do air quotes there in the area, that'll say things like, you can be free from sin or if you still sin, you're not saved. And, and I just want to say, uh, that's a lie. And I would say at best, it, it best, really giving them the benefit of the doubt, those people are incredibly misguided, incredibly misguided. And at worst, they're lying hypocrites because the Bible's crystal clear. They know themselves. We, we know we still struggle with sin. Um, but thanks be to God, we have Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, how do we go about that? So obviously we have Christ um, is our answer to help us get out of this. And then, then uh, I would say the Word of God is where we go from there. First Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. For, you, for if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... Uh, Notice this was said First Peter, so this is, uh, this is actually the same Peter, if you didn't notice, that Paul called out for being a hypocrite earlier. I would, I would say he uh, repented it, it, by all accounts because the Lord continued to use him, and he, he wrote epistles that are in the Word of God. Um, Peter repented. It was a, a sin he struggled with for the time. He repented of it, and, and here we are. But he's warning us, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. And then he says, here's where you go from here. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So this is where we go. Those, Christian, if you're struggling with sin and hypocrisy, you go to the word. Um, I remember uh, what I've always thought about uh, in this topic with Christian, you know, myself, when I think about my sin and, you know, how do I, I kill it? Uh, when Catherine and I first came to Grace Covenant, there was, we were doing a study um, on a book by one of the Puritans, John Owen, called The Mortification of Sin in Believers, which, you know, a fancy way of saying, how do you kill sin? How do you kill the sin in me? And um, my takeaway that I've always remembered is, uh, this is not the Puritan John Owen and his eloquent speech, but uh, my Lacey Spring recollection of it was, um, the way you kill sin is you grow, draw, draw near to God. By the very nature of that, the, the more you're in the Word of God, the more you're praying to God, the more you're with Him and, and learning who He is, getting to know Him and His Word and, and thinking about the Scriptures and praying to Him, by the very nature of that, the further away you're going to get from sin. That's what it's talking about here. Um, so now let's try to answer the question. We've kind of hopefully somewhat set the stage. So why on earth would you want to become a Christian if they're all a bunch of hypocrites? Uh, what's the point? Well, this may sound um, cliche. It may sound like a cop It may sound like I didn't spend a whole lot of time in preparation to come up with some more uh, fancy answer to really 
uh, impress you with, but the answer is Jesus. That is literally the answer. Um, that's, that's why you want to become a Christian, because we have Jesus. Um, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice it said the wages of sin is death. So our sinful natures we've been talking about, we earn death because of it. And this doesn't just mean the physical death. This points to, to, the, to the eternal, our eternal punishment and separation from God in hell forever. That's what this is talking about. That's what we earn by our sin. That's, that's what it gets us. And then the good news here. And this is truly, this is why Jesus is literally the answer. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So unless you're, you're redeemed or saved and you're putting your faith in Christ and you're actively repenting and turning from sin, this is where it leads you. It leads you to death. Um, a few one-liners here that, that, uh, that I kind of wrote down that, I, that hopefully might be helpful in, in thinking about this and that our eyes should be on Jesus instead of some man or, or instead of focusing on some wrong done to us by, by a hypocrite in the past. The, pe- the people within the church aren't perfect, but Jesus is. The people within the church didn't die for you, but Jesus did. The people within the church didn't bear the wrath of God for you, but Jesus did. The people within the church can't save you from the eternal wrath of God, but Jesus can. The people within the church can't proclaim you righteous, and give you access to God to, to even approach him in prayer, but Jesus can. And, and if we're honest, maybe, maybe if you're an unbeliever, if you're lost, you're not part of a church, you might say, well, the people in the church aren't really a reason to get all excited. You know, I, don't, I don't really connect with them. Uh, it's not really something to be excited about, but, but Jesus is. You're in sin. Your life, your wage, your... Your sin is earning you death. It's earning you eternal separation from God in hell. Jesus is literally the answer. He is our example. He's our substitute. He's our righteousness and he's our gift. I think the, the bar, his, his being our example, it says it pretty, clean, pretty plainly. Matthew 5 verse 48, it says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's exa- There you go. Here's, here's your example. You're to be perfect just as Heavenly Father is perfect. First um, Peter, and I love this one. I want to spend a little bit of time on First Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. If anybody wants to tr- turn there, First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed." I love this passage. It, I think, is pretty crystal clear here on, on Jesus being the answer. If you're um, still hung on this hypocrite thing in the church, Christ is our example. He suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin or was any defeat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't, he didn't return. He didn't revile and return. While suffering, he didn't utter any threats after him. He kept entrusting him to him, he, but kept entrusting himself to him, meaning God, who judges righteously. That's our example. That's the example part of it. And it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He was our sacrifice, our substitute. This is talking about he bore our sins, not his. It just said he, was, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was perfect. He was perfect. But he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins in the full wrath of God for us so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. He's our gift. He, and, and to live to righteousness. He's our righteousness. And then he's our gift, just as we saw earlier. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so truly, um, that I don't know. If there's a, a, a more plain way to put it, I wish somebody would tell me. But Jesus is literally the answer why you would want to be a Christian, why you would want to, to join the church. Um, if you've been hurt by the church and you're listening Boy, I'm sorry, and I I believe it. I don't I don't doubt you, but I would just encourage you to 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 put your focus on Jesus instead of some wrong done to you. Um, he's our gift. He's our gift. So how do we respond to that? Where do we go from here? If you're listening, you think, well, you know, goodness, what do I what do I do? Well, Acts 17 verse 30 it says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's a judgment coming. Um, it's crystal clear here. There's a judgment coming where God will judge the world in righteousness. So I, I would encourage you to ask yourself, where do you stand? If, if you're before God in this judgment, is he going to tell you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you, you who work lawlessness? It's talking about repentance here. This repentance is um, a change of mind and direction. So if you're, if you're lost and listening, repentance is simply, if you're headed this way towards sin and selfishness and, and the things of the world, it's a change of mind and, and mental, maybe even physical direction. It's a change of direction to turn away from the things of this world and to turn to Christ in faith. It's literally what it is. So that's, our, that's, that's the response. That's the first part of the response. The second, I think, is pretty clear in Romans chapter 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So the way you, you respond to this news you've heard, which, by the way, is the best news you'll ever hear, that Jesus died for you and he's your gift. If you just, if you repent, turn from your sins, change your mind, maybe your direction of your life, turn to Christ in faith, recognize that Jesus really is God in the flesh who came down, lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was crucified on your behalf, bore the sins of God while he was there, and was raised again three days later. You believe that and confess it to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you um, of your sins, and he will. He's just in the justifier. 
So t- to close, we're, we're wrapping up here. I want to close with a, a, one more verse and a, and a thought. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, it says, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's literally a verse, and I just read it word for word, but, but truly, we're begging you. If you're lost and, and, and you're convicted right now, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And finally, if you're, if you're listening to this and it's resonating with you, I would just encourage you, don't let your, your cynical view of the church and, and the people who make it up keep you from, from Christ. Um, I beg you not to. We'll close there. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we believe these things. We know we still struggle with sin. And we know that the answer to that is turning to you constantly in repentance. We know that's not a one-time thing, but an everyday, all day, for the rest of our lives thing. Lord, That it's an action. I think it's a, an action on our part to constantly be turning from our sin, our selfishness, our hypocrisy, to, to Jesus, Lord, and looking at Jesus is our example and our only hope and our righteousness instead of anything we can do. And I beg of you, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in granting salvation to anyone here in this who doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that, that you do that for your own namesake and your glory. Amen.